Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. When do I even move this down, Zara (laughs) McDonald? Keep it going. Mary's not Murray. Yeah, we're going to stop it there. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that is me, and Zara McDonald. Hello. All-time worst jingle maker, that is you. Sounds about right. Coming up on today's show, why young women take pride in sucking at life stuff, then the royal fuck-up that scrambled our brains and the permanency of TikTok, the social networking app that's officially the same size as Instagram. But first, Zara, how was your week? It's been a pretty mammoth week, I must say. We were in Brisbane and Sydney, of course. We had our two live shows there last week and we actually had the best time. We met about 1,200 of you, which is such a huge amount of people. The biggest, biggest, biggest thanks to our presenting partners, ANZ, who are committed to helping Australians get on top of their money, and the body shop where every purchase made this Christmas gives a donation to Plan International. We do have a couple more sponsored shout-outs. We also want to give a shout-out to Jetstar for getting us between states, and then there's Didi Rideshare who helped us get to and from the airports in Brisbane and back home to Melbourne. Thank you you guys for supporting us. Zara, talk to me about the week itself though. How did you find it? How are you feeling? We're of course recording this on the weekend after what I would say is probably the busiest week of our lives. Well, busiest week of the year for sure. So my eyes are a little droopy and my mouth is struggling to get words out. (laughs) I did make Michelle say the C word on stage, which may have meant that both of us nearly got fired. I don't know who fired us. but Yeah, well, there were sponsors in the audience and I did kind of do like an ASMR C word. The problem the problem was people came up to me afterwards. They're like, Zara put the pressure on you. You couldn't have done anything else. I kept saying, do it, do it. And then a whole crowd's like, do it. And Michelle's like, well, I can't. You couldn't be a party pooper. Well, you basically went, you wouldn't do it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck you, Zara. Now I have to do it in front of 800 people and all the sponsors. It reminds me when all my friends want to eat my food when I'm out for breakfast, right? They'll always look at my plate and be like, you're not going to finish that. <laughs> but you're not going to finish it to try and psych me out so they can eat the rest of it. I'm not sure it's mildly related to you saying the C word on stage, but <laughs> I'm just going to roll with it. How was your week? How are you feeling right now? I'm really tired, but I'm kind of deliriously tired to the point where I'm excited and I'm giddy and I'm happy and I'm smiley. So I think that's a good way to be. It's a great way to be. Oh, I have a recommendation I forgot to mention. Oh, yes, please. Oh, my God. We're, we're so delirious. We aren't even doing things the way they're supposed to be done. Please tell me what should the listeners read, watch, listen, buy celebrate this week? (laughs) Christmas. (laughs) Celebrate Christmas. I'm kidding. My recommendation is actually a watch and I don't think I've had a watch recommendation for this entire year because I'm so bad at watching things. My concentration span is horrific. But I started watching Years and Years on SBS Demand. Have you heard about it? Yes. Apparently it is semi-apocalyptic and I am not... like not even semi-apocalyptic. I'm not in the mood. I can't. Like life is tricky and I don't want to switch on a program that makes me feel like everything is is doomed. 
Yeah, this makes you feel like everything <laughs> is doomed. So this is um, a British show. It's a little bit Black Mirror-like. If you like Black Mirror, you will love this. It's a six-part series and it is basically follows a family and every episode is five years into the future and it's kind of very dystopian. It, it's fictional, but it is also um, hypothesising if real-life events actually happen. For example, if Trump is re-elected, if Pence is elected after that, what happens between the US and China? It's it's not particularly uplifting. <laughs> but it's so interesting and it's so good. I just don't have energy for dystopian content. So fair, so, so fair, so fair. That's why I never got into The Handmaid's Tale. I also have a recommendation and it is very, very different to Zara's one. I have another beauty product that you guys need to buy. It is the To Save Face Sunscreen from Mecca Cosmetica. It is SPF 50. Do you think this is a pretty basic bitch beauty recommendation? Probably, but... Zara, you're going to hate yourself for that comment because I think it's important. At our Sydney live show, we welcomed Nat Fornasia onto the stage. Nat was, of course, an in-conversation guest in April, which feels like forever ago, Zara. When we interviewed Nat, she was struggling with lung cancer. That cancer was then beaten and she was cancer-free in about July this year and unfortunately her cancer has now returned. She has stage four melanoma. And talking to Nat on stage in front of 800 of you in Sydney was really powerful and she spoke about the importance of sunscreen and protecting our skin and practicing self-care but not in a way that we always need to have crystals on our bedside table and if that's what you're into that's totally fine not in an Instagram way not in an Instagram way in a way that's genuinely beneficial for your health and leading into summer and leading into this peak of tanning culture this is so important so I love the Mecca Cosmetica to save face sunscreen because it's SPF 50 which is super important it's like one of the maximum levels of SPF protection and it gives my face a glow so it's semi-tinted and it doesn't smell like sunscreen and it doesn't break me out and I know lots of people don't put sunscreen on their face when they absolutely should because sunscreen smells bad and breaks them out this goes great under makeup so if you're into beauty and you're into skincare I promise you this sunscreen is an amazing buy I'm looking now there's 1300 reviews with an average of 4.7 stars out of five so pretty good indication the numbers speak for themselves I think I've used it on my face under my makeup every day for the last year I I actually fluctuate between that one and the ultraviolet one which was also very good if you're looking for another one that could be very good sunscreen coming into summer for all of the reasons Michelle just said above. Get one on your face, put it under your makeup. You will not regret it. Zara, where we are starting today's episode, of course, is with one of the viral posts. And I know that we hate that word, but this did go pretty (laughs) viral in the Facebook group this week. Can something go viral within our own Facebook group? I think when you've got 32,000 people, something can go viral. Some of the posts in there, I always look at uh, on my desktop to see who gets lots of likes. And Annie Nolan put a post in the group a couple of weeks ago when it came to you and dresses with pockets and she had a wedding dress with pockets and I think her post got 3,000 likes. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's semi-viral, especially (laughs) when it's screwing me over too. Thank you, Annie Nolan. But I also, isn't the definition of virality, and I know we've like gone way off course already, something that captures the entire internet rather than a portion of it or a corner of it? I guess I just mean the entire group. Okay, there we go. We're there. I would say if 10% of that group are getting on board something, that's pretty viral. So people got on board a post this week that was essentially about sucking at small life stuff. Yes, exactly. So it was a post in the group by our beloved listener, Lauren, who came in and said, I have a lot of life skill blind spots. I can't tie up a balloon, nor can I drive a manual car. What about you guys? This all began because there was also a viral tweet where someone's Stanford educated engineer landlord didn't know how to undo a combination lock. Oh, that's amazing. And so 700 people in our Facebook group wrote down what they suck at when it comes to life. And 
there were so many funny ones like I can't click, I can't whistle, I can't cook rice. And you and I were looking at each other being like, there's something here. There absolutely is something here. Also those little ones like clicking, whistling, like I'm terrible at. Because it extends beyond just being bad at chores or being beyond life skills. Mm -hmm. There are some things intrinsic to you. Like people said they couldn't swallow tablets. (laughs) Like they could not possibly swallow tablets. Those people, no offense to these people, are so annoying because it's like, come on, you're an adult. You're not under 12 anymore. You can't have liquid versions of everything. No, because I feel like I have skin in this game. I can swallow tablets like I do it every day. What a champ, What a tablet champion. A tablet, a tablet champion. There was a huge period there when I was like 12 where I couldn't do it. No matter how hard I tried, I actually couldn't do it. So I do sympathize. I remember one, sorry, so off track again. I have one memory from childhood where I told my mum I had swallowed the tablet and I just left it down the bottom of my water hoping it would dissolve yes. <laughs> and I'd then be able to drink it. Didn't happen. Or I used to drink the water and then throw it behind me. <sighs> Memory. things. Small what can't things. you do? I can't wink at all. I can't whistle. Like, this is me trying to whistle. Ready? Okay. Oh, my God. Sounds like a sad wind. I'll try it because I'll be way better. Okay, go. Oh, that's (laughs) That is going to be so unpleasant to listen to. I'll put the sound down when I do that. Oh, my goodness. I also, and this really struck me this week because I've been thinking about this for the better part of three years. I moved out of home three years ago. And obviously, when you move out of home, you do all of your own grocery shopping. You would hope. I don't understand how mums and how dads do an entire week of grocery shopping in one hit and then bring everything home and have it all organized in the fridge and the pantry. When I go grocery shopping, uh, my mind can think about one meal and that's tonight's dinner and snacks and that's it. I can't physically plan. It's like when it comes to figuring out what ingredients I need for future meals in the week, let alone deciding what I want to eat for future meals in the week, I can't do it. Like I cannot buy more than one meal at a time. I think that's a very fair assessment. The attention to detail it must take, right, to know not just what you're eating for the entire week, but every single ingredient you need to fill the holes in yes. your pantry for blows my mind. I can't really cook. I don't actually know how to use a can opener properly. What? I can try it, but it's always a mess. I also can't <laughs> whistle even though I tried and I still occasionally can be known to use my hands for left and right like I don't have this inherent ability to know what side is my my left and what side is my right which is embarrassing I can't ride a bike bikes terrify me and I think this has something to do with anxiety people who overthink everything bikes are our nightmare like A bike is my nemesis. When I was in Amsterdam and trying to ride a bike, I got so injured. I was so far behind everyone. I got so lost. But because I'm going so slowly, I have so much time to think like, am I going to go the left side around this pole or the right side? And then I second guess. Oh, no, you just need to fly and not think. That's not an anxious person thing. (laughs) I think anxious people hate bike riding. The idea, Mitch loves bike riding. the huge, like whopping generalization. I reckon people come into the Facebook group and be like, yes, I have anxiety and I hate bikes. Okay, have you skied? I, no, You'd be okay. a slow no, skier. No, 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 See, no, no, no. I'm the opposite. I just I'm terrible at it all, but I fly. Like I close my eyes and go to the point where it's like, well there's no other option. I would be that person, you know, how people go viral for videos like this, where you can see them second guessing and like going left and going right and then just going straight into a tree. That would be me. My brain cannot make a decision on the spot and I end up injured again and again. Did you know in 2018, Good Housekeeping actually did a survey with 2000 millennials asking them what they were actually terrible at Mm -hmm. when it came to little life stuff or little life things. And from the 2000 participants, 40% said they couldn't confidently sew a button. 76% cannot change a tire. Here, here. My dad will be so upset. <laughs> 33% can't boil an egg. 77% can't shorten a hem. 50% can't confidently iron a shirt. And 37% could not make a cake without a recipe. Can't boil an egg? 
I'm not surprised by that. How? You can you can barely get it wrong. Like as long as it's not raw in the middle. I think people just aren't I think that we live in a generation where all of these things have passed us by and I think it comes down to two things. First and foremost, it does not help that so many of us have stayed at home longer yep. than any other time in history and for that reason, generally things are being done for us. And I know people might kind of come back at that and say, "Whoa, I lived at home and I didn't." But I think it's more the subconscious element of living at home where a lot of people aren't actually forced to do these things for themselves. It's so interesting to me that that's survey you just read out was in good housekeeping because I think the quite conservative leanings of someone working at good housekeeping is very very different to the people doing the survey I think good housekeeping probably presented that survey and its findings in quite a negative millennials a hopeless way but the millennials who answered the survey probably had an air of pride and this is what I find interesting in that the 700 people who responded to this thread in our Facebook group did seem to be proud or it seemed to be excitable. a bit excitable there was yeah. an excitable uh, tone to there was the an thread energy being like we all suck and I think it's so interesting we've always told women that they culturally and biologically belong in the home which is of course bullshit it doesn't depend on sex where you belong in the home or the workplace or whatever you can do whatever the fuck you want but we've always historically had this idea that women are better at cleaning women are better at cooking women are better at the domestic chores and that that is biologically determined but pushing back on that with our generation feels very freeing and kind of funny. I feel like it really shows that we're jubilant. We're jubilant to suck at this stuff because we have priorities. Do you think this just plays into the narrative, though, that boomers think, oh, my God, we're back at boomers v. millennials, <laughs> that boomers think millennials are lazy? Because I don't actually think this is a laziness thing. I do think, particularly for women, there's a sense that we're pushing back on that manual and emotional labor, even if it's not a conscious yeah. thing. I think the idea that we would exa- know exactly how to iron a shirt or exactly how to boil oil and egg were things that were just expected of us. Like we were expected and have always been expected to know like the minutia Mm. of day-to-day tasks. And it doesn't, I don't think it exists like that anymore. I think second to that, I do feel like we're a generation who is tied up in our work very Mm. generally. And I think we're living with, or we're trying to live a life that's complex enough for it to play out on social media, which means we don't just have to have a really good work life. We have to have a really good social life too. And because of that, I think we're just much busier and these things aren't as important anymore. They're not priorities yeah totally I think there was that triangle I can't remember the three pillars of it but one there's like a triangle that's very very common I'm sure if you google it you'll find it where it's kind of like you can only pick two things in life one is work yes one is um is friendship yeah I, don't, I can't remember but it's like you can only pick two out of the three and it's so true and I think for a lot of us it's the life admin side that really falls down that we suck at and I personally feel proud I think it very closely ties into the idea that we're allowed to dream bigger and women in our generation do feel far less inhibited by the patriarchy, I guess, to use that word. I mean, I kind of hate throwing that word around because it sounds like a gender studies class, but I feel like I can do, go and do big things. And that means that the little things kind of fall away and I don't really give a fuck. In fact, I love pointing at them and being like, I actually suck at you and I don't care and it doesn't matter. Time is so contestant that it's the life admin that's fallen away the most. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Michelle, what have you got for me this week? I'm kicking off with a bizarre one, like purely confusing, befuddling, 
mind-boggling other synonyms for the same thing. (laughs) My first story, mystery over breakout music star tones and eyes real age. That is from news.com.au. Now, I'm sure everyone listening to this is across tones and eyes. She, of course, released the hit single, a smash hit, you might say, Zara McDonald. I think I would say smash hit. (laughs) Called Dance Monkey. It was the number one global single for weeks on end. It broke the ultimate Aria's record for weeks at number one consecutive weeks and she's everywhere and often when she is written about which seems to be every day right now news publications include that she is only 19. Yeah and the story around Tones and I was quite a romantic one it was the idea that she was a 19 year old busking on the streets of Byron Bay earlier this year and now she is a global chart-topping artist. News.com wrote a really interesting story this week and said it's very confusing because if you scroll back through Tones and I's Instagram page you'll see that she was out clubbing when she was reportedly like 12 or 13 years old and she does not look 12 or 13 years old and the inference is of course has the media got very confused about the narrative around her rise to fame absolutely I find this story fascinating and I'm sure you do as well Zara because it wasn't that long ago that Rebel Wilson got into a legal stoush over magazines claiming that she lied about her age and I find the media's coverage of this story really fascinating Tones and I's real age has been updated on her Wikipedia page to reflect 26 no comment has been made from her team at the time of recording but I just wonder how if it is true that she's not 19 how a mistruth like that permeates and continues on for so long and I'm just interested in the machinations of this story and how it went about that everyone thought she was a teenager when she's very much not a teenager. Yeah, so I think people think she's about 26. And I think the difference between this story and the Rebel Wilson story is very much the inference in the articles was that Rebel Wilson lied. There is no suggestion that Tones and I has ever lied. The uh, the suggestion is the media has just fucked it up this entire time. Absolutely. My second story, Chris Hemsworth's wife, Elsa Pataki, blasts Miley Cyrus and says her brother-in-law, Liam, deserves much better following the pair's breakup. That is from the Daily Mail. Zara, this is a masterpiece in the art of subtly sassing someone. Do you think it's even subtle? Oh, probably not subtle. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, I, what I liked about this was Elsa Pataki's quote on Liam Hemsworth was quite large and it wasn't until the final four or five words where she kind of twisted the knife in Miley Cyrus's back. Exactly. So what actually happened was Elsa Pataki was in a press conference in Madrid where she was promoting a lingerie brand and she was asked by a Spanish outlet there about how her brother-in-law Liam Hemsworth was doing and she said, my brother-in-law, well, after a relationship you've dedicated 10 years to, he's a little bit down but he's coping well, he's a strong boy and he deserves the best. I think he deserves much better. So you're so right, it's those last five words that do sort of pull the knife into the back. I have to say, if something did go down and it was your sibling or your your partner's sibling, you do want to publicly defend them to anyone that will listen to you. So I, I don't begrudge her in the slightest for doing something like this. Absolutely. My third story, Victoria's Secret cancels annual show amid falling TV audiences. That is from ABC News. I didn't even realise they were planning on doing Me a show too. this year. I thought they were cancelled last year. So, oh, no, I don't know. I, I don't know what I thought. I don't know what either of us thought. I think we just thought that it was a falling enterprise and that the assumption was that it couldn't come back. Yeah, I feel like this has to be 
one of the prime examples of a brand just crashing and falling. I feel like three years ago, Victoria's Secret was so relevant, was so prominent, was such a pop culture moment. And the way they torched that brand to the ground is astounding. It's pretty quick, huh? And I think the other thing that's very interesting to me is how marketing can change so swiftly. Like marketing practices that worked three years ago don't work. They actually work against you today. I find that so, so fascinating. What I found fascinating is when we were in the Melbourne air airport this week about to leave for our live shows I needed a pair of seamless underwear any woman listening to this will understand the need for seamless underwear when you are wearing tight white pants of course so I walk into Victoria's Secret it was my only option and their underwear are ludicrously priced I paid I think it was 40 something dollars for two pairs of seamless undies which is another point entirely just to buy the buy but what I didn't like is they had dozens and dozens of pairs of undies on the top shelf and it was the only display shelf right you couldn't get undies anywhere else easily without help of an assistant or a shop attendant and they had probably 10 pairs of the same color same style whatever and they were all size eight and when I spoke to the shop assistant I was like sorry what size are these like I can't tell because they all had s on them yeah but I thought that meant something else like I thought it was just a code well if you're seeing like dozens of pairs of underwear on the one shelf you would assume that there would be different sizes there yeah and she goes no no no, they're all a six to an eight do you need another size I need to go through the drawers to get it and the first thing that struck me about that is that instantly makes any woman who doesn't need a size eight feel uncomfortable. Well, exactly. They've got to make a point of acknowledging that they are not the size that we deem the quote unquote beauty ideal. Yeah. And some people came back to me when I posted this on my Instagram story about it. Some people came back and said other retailers do that, but I disagree in that other retailers might have them on other sections and it's easy to grab. With Victoria's Secret, you had to get someone to help you to open the drawer for you to find your size. And I think that is so telling. If they're doing that in 2019, I'm not fucking surprised that they had to cancel their infamous live show. Yeah, and what I find interesting though about this story and the wording around it is the word cancelling because I do think that they're just stopping this show to make room for something else which will just take its place because I think if they came out and said we're reinvigorating the Victoria's Secret show, it wasn't going to work. People weren't going to believe it. They were going to have to torch it to the ground and sort of build something else as if build something else up as if it was completely new when in reality it's not. But I will be interested to see what they come out with next and whether it is very well received. Well, I'm not really sure if the metamorphosis of this brand can be genuine They'll when try, their though. bosses seem to be transphobic, fatphobic, everything under the sun. And also the CEO is quite close with old mate Jeffrey Epstein, but that's <sighs> for another time. We'll get to Jeffrey in a little bit. My fourth story, there's a dumb theory Kylie's sisters, already rich, are jealous of her $600 million payday. That is from Pedestrian TV. Zara, do you want to walk us through the payday first and then we'll talk about sibling jealousy? Sure can. So Kylie Jenner, maker of, CEO of, <laughs> creator of Kylie Cosmetics, sold her business for $600 million last week, which is just a mammoth amount of money, particularly, I mean, even for a Kardashian. Um, It was bought by the company that owns CoverGirl as well. And you and I um, spoke about this at our live shows and between ourselves this week about how it's not entirely surprising that someone like Kylie Jenner might want to step away from running what is essentially now a conglomerate. Absolutely. Well, she sold 51% to Coty or C-O-T-Y and she's retaining 49%. I think it makes a lot of sense. She is probably at the peak of her relevancy right now. She probably did not envisage making a $1.2 billion company. Why not cash in on that relevancy, cash in on that fame, take your $600 million and she's still going to be the face of the brand, the creative director and keep all the fun stuff. She's just giving all the shitty business admin stuff to another business. So And still making bank 
think from it too. This story I find interesting. I would love to get your opinion on this because when a publication um, like Pedestrian runs a headline that says there's a dumb theory, Kylie's sisters are jealous, kind of makes me think that they still want to leverage off the dumb story out there but pretend they're above the dumb story out there. Yeah, they want the clicks from it but they want to seem totally like, detached like disconnect from it. From it. Like yeah. we're too smart to buy into this but here's the story so you still click on it. Exactly. I don't think any Kardashian or Jenna sister is going to be jealous of this but then again like if they are I would hate for that to be put down as anti-feminist. Like if you're jealous of your sister that says more of a sibling rivalry thing to me than it does like women not supporting women. It's got nothing to do with feminism. I don't know who would suggest it even does. If your sister was wildly rich and he does like say you and your sister were both doing well but she was wildly more rich than you would there be a tinge of jealousy there well I don't know because if I've already got a certain amount of richness to me if I've got a certain amount of money in my bank account how much more money do you feasibly need I don't know like I there's like not enough things in the world to buy to to bridge that gap but there is no limit on human greed I don't think rich Agreed. people realize how rich they are and someone like Chloe Kardashian might be looking at Kylie and going she's so much richer I'm just an average person Person. And if they're jealous, it wouldn't be about the money. It would be about the brand of Kylie Jenner and the relevancy of Kylie Jenner more than anything else. Yeah, because they've all launched brands. None of them have been as relevant or successful as this, particularly Kim Kardashian, which I find interesting. If there is something there, I sympathise. I have two sisters and sibling rivalry is real as much as I love them. My fifth story, a current affair follows Jules and Cam in the lead up to their wedding. That is news.com.au. So, Tuesday night rolled around last week. Michelle and I were in Brisbane getting ready for our live show and you better believe she forced me to watch the Married at First Sight wedding between Jules and Cam. And upon reflection, it wasn't the best way to spend 90 minutes of our time. It was such a train wreck. Like, I don't mean that in a nasty way because I think Jules and Cam are genuinely in love. They were my favourite couple when I watched Married at First Sight earlier this year. But televised weddings, I I just don't know how much money you would have to pay me to do that. Yeah, and the other thing I wonder is if there was something in their contract long ago when they signed on to the show that said that maybe if any of the couples ended up together that Channel 9 either owned the rights to the wedding or if they were going to televise it, they had first dibs. Regardless, I just think the production around it was a little average. One thing I did find interesting was Jessica Power, who I'm sure if you watch Married at First Sight, that name is familiar to you. If you didn't, she was the villain from this year. She went onto her Instagram story and kind of blasted Jules and Cam for doing this televised wedding and floated the idea that they were paid about $70,000. And I think that price tag is just too fucking low. I feel like that's a low ball. I think you need to times that by 10 to make it worth it. I think that's all for my quick and dirty though. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up after the break, Prince Andrew's train wreck interview with the BBC. But first, a word from our sponsor. Last week was a horror one for the royal family. Thanks to an absolute train wreck of an interview Prince Andrew gave to Newsnight. In case you missed it, Prince Andrew has been in the headlines recently thanks to his relationship with dead pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. In order to clear the air, the Duke of York decided to sit down with Emily Maitlis for BBC's Newsnight to explain his relationship with Epstein. The interview flopped, to say the least, and five days later, Prince Andrew was forced to resign from royal duties for the foreseeable future. It was 
as editor of the Royal Central website, Charlie Proctor put it, plane crashing into an oil tanker, causing a tsunami, triggering a nuclear explosion, level bad. Oh, my God. Mish, why in the world do you think Prince Andrew misread the room so much and proceeded to do this interview? Because I think he is a man who has been sheltered and protected his entire life. I think this story exemplifies how detached some members of the royal family are from the world around them. The fact that he thought he could do this interview, give the answers that he gave and that they would help his reputation absolutely astounds me. The fact that he thought he could go on a national television station and say that he associated with a pedophile because that pedophile helped his social standing and his status and that would appeal to the common man is truly, truly mind-boggling. What really struck me about this, Zara, is the timeline of the interview coming out. So this was months in the making between Prince Andrew and the team at the BBC, right? After the interview, he took them around the palace for a full tour. He was so proud of his answers and so chuffed with how that interview went. He gave them all a tour. Apparently, things were very cordial and very nice. On Friday, the network teased out quotes. So for those unfamiliar, when there's a big exclusive interview like this, a network will send out an email that's a press release. It's embargoed, but you are allowed to use certain quotes from the interview for press to kind of build hype before it's released. So these quotes were given on Friday. Articles started coming out on Friday night, Saturday morning. By Sunday evening, before the official interview had even aired, Prince Andrew was facing calls from the FBI and lawyers representing 10 of Jeffrey Epstein's victims asking him to testify. Isn't it just absurd? Like, I know that you said you're astounded, but I am too. And I, I'm imagining that tour of the palace after the interview where Prince Andrew was clearly quite smug. Like, the reports are that he was mildly smug and very chuffed with how the interview had gone, how the journalists and producers must have been thinking. Like, they must have thought this was a total mindfuck because they would have sat in this interview and heard these quotes, which I will read out to you in a moment, and thought, what is this guy doing? The arrogance and ignorance that you must inhibit in order to think this is a smart move is beyond staggering. I wanted to play a couple of the quotes from the interview because I really think in order to understand why this has exploded so much, you need to understand the depths of what he said. Get your ears ready. But you were staying at the house of yes. a convicted sex offender. It was a convenient place to stay. At the end of the day, um, uh, uh, with the benefit of all the hindsight that one could have, um, it was definitely the wrong thing to do um, but at the time I felt it was the it was the honorable and right thing to do and I, I admit fully that that, that that my judgment was probably colored by my tendency to be too honorable but that's just the way it is one of Epstein's accusers Virginia Roberts yeah. has made allegations against you she says she met you in 2001 she says she dined with you danced with you at Tramp Nightclub in London. She went on to have sex with you in a house in Belgravia belonging to Gerlen Maxwell, your friend. She was very specific about that night. Mm. She described dancing with you no. and you profusely sweating <laughs> and that she went on to have bath, there's a, there's possibly... A, there's a slight problem with, 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 with the sweating um, because uh, I, I have a peculiar medical condition which is that I don't sweat um, or I didn't sweat at the time and that was oh actually yes I didn't sweat at the time because I 
um, ha had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at. Uh, and I simply, it, it, was, it, was, it was almost impossible for me to, to, to sweat. I think it's uh, from the investigations that we've done, you can't prove whether or not that photograph is uh, faked or not. I, as a member of the royal family, and I have a photograph taken and I take very, very few photographs, I am not one to, um, as it were, hug and um, public displays of affection are not something that, that I do. First of all, before we say anything about his disgraceful answers, let's give a little hat tip to Emily Maitlis, the interviewer for that. That was utterly impeccable. The way she maintained a straight face and continued hammering Prince Andrew with questions for 40 minutes and she did not let him slip with anything was incredible. I think this is such great, great journalism and I'm so happy it was Emily Maitlis who was tasked with this job. Which is the most interesting question to me. It's so extraordinary to me that the palace let this be like a no-holds-barred encounter. Like it is so rare in general celebrity land for a network to be given an interview with a celebrity and not be given parameters with which they can ask yes. questions, right? So if we would be given an interview, and this wouldn't happen on our own conversations because that's not the tone of our interviews, but if we were to interview a big international celebrity, the publicist would come in and say, you can ask X, Y, and Z, but only at the end and only after you speak about their work for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I am so surprised that Prince Andrew's handlers or advisors didn't say, speak about charity work for 20 minutes and then you've got two questions on Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. Instead, it was an entire interview with what seemed to be no parameters and therefore Jeffrey Epstein could, and therefore Prince Andrew can kind of run wild. Absolutely. Now, if you're listening to this and going, okay, I want a little bit of context. I know these names have been everywhere in the news. Can you just give me a little bit to go off? Here is the context you need. Prince Andrew is the Duke of York. He is 59 years old. He's the second son of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. So his older brother is the guy that no one likes. Prince Charles. There she goes. Got it. It, it popped into my head at the last second. Prince Charles is also renowned for being a bit of a dickhead as well. Yeah, but you look like an absolute saint if your mother is <laughs> Prince Andrew. Jeffrey Epstein is, of course, a disgraced billionaire financier who was a convicted sex offender who procured and sexually abused young girls. We do not want to use the word prostituted because you cannot prostitute someone who is underage. That is sexual abuse. He died aged 66 earlier this year in custody. He was in prison. Zara, there are still murky rumours around exactly the circumstances of his death, but it is reported that he suicided. I think what's one of the most horrifying parts of this interview, first and foremost, is not once did Prince Andrew acknowledge Epstein's many, many yes. victims. Or did he offer any form of compassion or empathy towards the young women who suffered at the billionaire pedophile's hands? Like that really staggers me that it wasn't the first thing that his advisors told him. The first thing you have to do is express sympathy and empathy and compassion towards these people. Absolutely. I was stunned that the word victim, I mean, I've, I've watched, I think, 41 minutes of 44 and I did not hear the word victim once. I was waiting for him to talk about the victims. All he was concerned about in this entire interview was himself. And every time Epstein came up, he would point to the fact that Epstein was well-connected, that he was wealthy, that staying with him was convenient, that he had a huge mansion. And for those answers to come out of a, a father and an older man's mouth who should have so much more wisdom than that is, as I said, astounding. Like, I actually can't get over that fact. 
What also surprised me is how often holes were exposed in Prince Andrew's excuses. So one of the very first answers Prince Andrew gave about how he knew Jeffrey Epstein was that they weren't really friends. They were kind of friends of friends who met in 1999 through Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend. But if we look at letters and evidence from way back when in Prince Andrew's career, apparently they met in the very early 1990s. And his answer in the interview does not line up with any of the evidence we have predating it. Well, this is what confuses me about Prince Andrew and him being in the public life for that many years is his complete inability to read the room. Now, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but I think if you are of an age where you have been in the public eye your entire life, not just for a few years, but from the moment you are born, you would think that there'd be some remnant of your brain or emotional intelligence that would understand how the public is going to react to certain scenarios. Yeah. And the fact that he decided to come on camera and not just say that and not understand that people are going to dig up those facts. But second to that, come onto camera and say, I was friends with Jeffrey Epstein because I'm too honorable. I couldn't end the friendship does astound me. And I know we're overusing that word, but it's just surprising. I think one fact here that's really important to note is that Prince Andrew had recently lost the services of Jason Stein, who was the spin doctor hired in September to restore his reputation. How did he lose him between September and now? Well, Stein had reportedly advised Prince Andrew against the entire interview and against the whole thing, preferring like a much longer term strategy that included like a a heap of charity work and more like small plantings of stories in the media, which is a much smarter way of going about it. Far smarter. I mean, I don't want to defend a man who befriended a pedophile at all, but if he was savvy, he would go for that. And you know what that screams to me? That he's petulant and he thinks that he's entitled to- Adoration. He thinks he's entitled to things. And I think that's what happens when you're born into a family where you automatically get a pay slip of $400,000 a year for no particular reason at all. He feels entitled. He's entitled to money. He's entitled to fame. He feels entitled to a good reputation, to love. And he's not entitled to any of those things. And the fact that he ignored that very savvy, very clever PR advice and decided that he would instead go ahead with this ridiculous interview shows so much. I think the most damning excuse he did give was when he was questioned about his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein and asked if he regretted it. He said no. He said still not. The reason being that the people I met and the opportunities I was given to learn either by him or because of him were actually very useful. I think those quotes speak to how much power moves and blinds people. I think Prince Andrew is so blinded by his own ego, by his own need for power. He can't physically understand what it would be like to be a 17-year-old girl who was trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein. He can't physically understand what it would be like to be in anything other than the most privileged position of power in any room at any given time. It's a unique form of arrogance, isn't it? That lack of compassion. Like it's really, really unique to see. There seemed to be this real sense of delusion around his ability to kill this story and to like knock it on the head. And like I keep saying, a real sense of arrogance about how easily he could evade controversy around it. On Monday, after the interview went live, charity partners and sponsors who work with Prince Andrew on his initiative pitch at Palace, which is kind of an initiative to help foster young entrepreneurs, all started pulling out. So Cisco announced that it was severing ties with his with the initiative. Um, so too did pharmacy giant AstraZeneca 
Zeneca. Back home, RMIT and Murdoch University in Perth also subsequently cut ties with the Good. program. KPMG also cut ties. Like everybody started distancing themselves from him. And it became very clear for the palace that if Prince Andrew isn't able to do the one job that he is tasked to do, which is literally charity work, if nobody wants to put their, their own money to his initiatives, then he doesn't have a job. So then came obviously that statement that a lot of us would have read, which was the one that said he would be stepping back from public life for the foreseeable future. I would love to know how long that is. Well, how long is it going to take for us to forgive someone who maintained a friendship with a pedophile? Like he knew Jeffrey Epstein went to jail. He knew that he was charged. He was still friends with him. So for those not familiar, in 2008, Jeffrey Epstein went to jail. He got out in 2010, which is a ridiculously short sentence for what he was convicted of. He is a convicted sex offender. Again, we'll remind you of that. In 2010, Within months of Jeffrey Epstein coming back and flying to his New York mansion, Prince Andrew flew to him and stayed in that mansion with him when it is rumoured that young girls were there. It is also rumoured that Prince Andrew received foot massages from a young Russian girl in his time in the duration of his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein. It is also rumoured that he had sex three times with a 17-year-old who was trafficked. He denies those allegations, but again, his denials seemed patchy at best, flimsy at worst. Yeah, they weren't good, were they? Like, they weren't strong excuses. They were laughable excuses. Like, there's nothing else to say but laughable. There is a photo of him with Virginia Roberts, the girl who accuses him of uh, having sexual relations with her on three times when she was 17. She uses the word sex. You might substitute the word sexual abuse in for that. That's up to you. He says the photo is either doctored or faked. That is the thing that he put forward, despite the fact that Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend is in the back and it's very clearly Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend's apartment. Like, how can you possibly argue that that's a fake photo? This is what surprises me about how many stories he must have evaded in the past if he thought he could nail this one so quickly, yes. right? How many stories has he been able to kill in the last few years if he thought this one could go away like that? I think it's interesting to look at the Queen's relationship with Prince Andrew through this entire story. So when Jeffrey Epstein died a couple of months ago, the Duke of York was spotted with her at church in Sandringham and they were pictured in a car together being chauffeured to church. The day after this interview was um, recorded, he was also pictured with her at church, but he was forced to walk and she was in the car. So he still wants to be pictured around the royal family Mm. and likely the royal family still wants him in their orbit, but they don't want to tie themselves too closely to him. I don't think they were consulted on this at all. I think they have been leaking. It seems like they've been leaking statements saying that he was operating in silo, which it absolutely seems like he has. Like it does not look like he has been um, taking on the advice of the palace at all because the advice of the palace would be either stay silent or let's work on a long-term PR strategy. Well, surely the most basic advice if the palace was involved, which I agree with you, I don't think they were, would be please do not describe this behavior as unbecoming. Being a pedophile is so much worse than being unbecoming. This is not unbecoming kind of behavior. This is grotesque, illegal, gangrenous behavior. Like this is the lowest of the low procuring children for sexual abuse. This could not be described as a manner unbecoming, which was his quote. And I think to come on to a television station and use that kind of language shows how daft and completely stupid stupid this man is. He's very, very stupid. But it's also cruel, right? Imagine if you were Virginia Roberts who says she has been abused and you hear a man go on national television, not only call you a liar, but describe the man who trafficked you as unbecoming. 
I would be interested to see how Eugenie and Beatrice are responding to this yes. behind the scenes because Prince Andrew has two daughters who you would know the faces of. They are, they've been pretty prominent in the weddings of both Harry and Will. It just seems pretty astounding to me that I know this seems overly simplistic, but that a father of two daughters couldn't use his, his relationship with his daughters to find some kind of empathy or compassion. Mm. Not that you need that, but maybe pull on that. I think one thing that we're not even mentioning here is rumours and stories around Prince Andrew Andrew didn't just stop with this interview. After the interview, he was accused by former Downing Street aides of racism. Another former Home Secretary also revealed that Prince Andrew had made racist comments in her presence at an official state banquet. I just... Like that point you made about his daughters as well, I wonder what it would be like, like if someone in your orbit had done this, like if your father or if your brother or if your uncle had befriended a pedophile even after he knew he was a pedophile, how do you process that? I think you actually have to be in denial. If you're going to continue a relationship with that person, if you're going to continue to see your dad, you would have to be so completely blind to the reality of what he is capable of and what he has done because I don't think any person could possibly comprehend this and continue a relationship with him. And it would be a really hard one because I think most people would want to continue their relationship with their parents. Like I think reality would say most people would try to mend that relationship. So I think denial is the crucial ingredient here. I think I would love to know what happens now, like what happens to his team Mm. around him because he is not employed by the palace anymore. They can't pay him what they always have. They can't pay the team. Are they dissolved? What happens to his travel costs because Mm. the sovereign grant doesn't cover them anymore? What happens to the cost of his security detail? Like who is paying for this stuff? I would love to know. So he will still be paid out of the Queen's purse. That's all we know. And that will be a hidden figure. That will be his only source of income. But I'm sure mummy will sort him out. I'm sure he'll be fine financially. It's more the people around him who will struggle now. Well, 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 call us idiots, but it appears the short video sharing app TikTok is not going anywhere anytime soon, Zara. It is here to stay. In fact, the social media app where people create short videos is now used by as many people as Instagram. That blows my mind. It turns out one in every seven people worldwide have TikTok downloaded on their phone. Zara, does that stat surprise you? Yes, because I think of how many people in the world don't know what TikTok is, which means that almost every single person in the world that knows what TikTok is must actually have it on their phones. I thought it was interesting that 41% of users on TikTok are under the age of 24. I thought it'd be more than that. I did too, but it's still a whole heap of people. That's under 24. Mm. Like 24 is pretty young. You think about an entire social media network or entire social media platform just almost entirely being constituted of young people. And it seems like this underground world, doesn't it? Do you have TikTok on your own phone? I don't, but I think I'm going to download it this week I do so this is what really struck me about this right I for so long was like no this is too young and too immature and I'm not going to get sucked into it however when I went away for the weekend with my family my sister and my little brother had TikTok on their phone the young people of course isn't that so indicative and they started playing videos and I sat with them for maybe an hour going through particularly one guy his name I think is like Jack or something we went through so many of his comedy videos which are stupid like they're so silly and so ridiculous but they're so fun and so like light-hearted and I have a video to show you it's not from Jack but I want to show you my favorite TikTok video of all time it's of a dancing ferret Zara and I think you will love it and I think once you'll see this you'll want to are you going to put it in the Facebook group I'm going to put this in the Facebook group so everyone can see it and I'm going to play it for you now oh my God. <laughs> 
Oh my god, this is so my vibe. It's just like there is no point to this. Like there is no point. It's a dancing animal. It's a dancing animal. So for those who feel a bit of FOMO right now, I will put that in the Facebook group. But just so you know, it's like an origami Pikachu dancing with a very bendy ferret. It's quite bendy, like quite flexible. It's moving its little body. So this account has millions of followers and this woman just gets her – it's called Matilda the Ferret, 2.4 million followers. So it's the ferret's account. It's the ferret's account. That video of that dancing ferret has 40.3 million views. Isn't it just absurd? So for those who've just heard of TikTok as a video platform but don't actually know how it was born or how it came to be, it is owned by a company called ByteDance, which is headquartered in Beijing and China. I would think of ByteDance like China's Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's estimated to be worth about $75 billion. It's the most highly priced private company in the world. When the popular video app Vine closed in October 16, and I feel like today we'll mention Vine a few times because there is a bunch of similarities between how Vine functions and how TikTok functions. Um, many influencers or many of the young influencers, and these are like teenage influencers, moved over to a different app called Musical.ly, which mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of people have heard of, which was like a lip syncing app. It was very short videos. I'm still confused by Musical.ly. I'm not going to lie. It was a huge like dare I say teeny bopper app. Mm -hmm. Is that unfair? No, not at all. What I find interesting, which I didn't know, Michelle, but I did after all of this reading, is in November 2017, ByteDance purchased Musical.ly for a reported like $1 billion. And what they ended up doing a year later is just merge the app. So Musical.ly and TikTok came together as one under the broader umbrella of TikTok. So all of these Musical.ly accounts were easily transferred over to TikTok. Musical.ly was obviously TikTok's biggest competitor, so ByteDance just bought it and merged them two together. Imagine by sorry, I know this is so, such dumb, like basic bitch point to make, but one billion dollars for an app. Imagine creating an app and then having a Chinese company to, coming to you and being like, "We'll pay you a billion dollars for it." Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Why did I not go into software development? Little fun fact about the merging of Musically and TikTok: the most popular and most followed person on TikTok is a Musically star. Her name is Lauren Gray. She has thirty million followers. And she literally just lip syncs to songs, like R&B songs in particular. Very, very pretty, doe-eyed girl. Mm. Just lip syncs to songs and looks hot and gets millions and millions of views and followers and likes for every single one. And I do wonder how do women like Lauren Gray, I know she's got a big Instagram following now because social media followings do kind of migrate on different platforms and they're easily seeded throughout. But I wonder how you monetize TikTok. How is that going to come into things? Because I've been using it this week. I've been popping on maybe once a day just to have a look. There's not a whole bunch of sponsored content. There is some by some brands like Pepsi. I think I saw one for them and some quite young millennial brands, but it's nowhere near to the level of Instagram yet. And I wonder when that tide will turn, when the real commercialization of this platform will come in, because it has been around for years and it's hugely popular in Asia. So I wonder when uh, brands are going to leap on this and start monetizing it in Australia and America and the UK. Well, even though we say it's been around for a few years, it's only been around in the form that it sits right now for about a year. Mm. I think that it won't take long before it transforms into more of an Instagram platform in terms of the amount of SponCon on there. And I would love to say, oh, it'll take longer because think of how long Instagram took to really leverage or Instagram influencers took to leverage their followings for sponsored content. But I think now that people on TikTok have seen that, it would be very easy to monetize. That said, it would be clever of the platform to put checks and balances in 
to make sure it doesn't become an Instagram. I think the beauty of this platform is how the Atlantic call, declared it cringy and that's fine. <laughs> and I think you can still make money off that. I think there's a bunch of money to be made in cringe, but I think the, dare I say, maybe more authenticity of this platform or maybe the natural nature of this platform means that people are flocking to it faster than they've ever flocked to anything before. I agree. I think there's definitely something with video. You can't edit video in the same way you can photography and photos. And I think I agree with you. I put down the word authentic and I hate using it because yeah. it's such a lame buzzword and it's so overused and oversaturated, but it is a more authentic platform. It's organic and it's silly. And I think the silly aspect of it is what keeps people coming on. And I do wonder when you download it, which I'm sure you will, Zara, because I think everyone's downloading it. It's even been in our group a lot this week, I'm downloading it right now. Yeah. Everyone who has downloaded it will observe that, yeah, some of it's really fucking lame. Like some of the videos I watch and I'm like, that has to be the worst thing. Like that, I always feel like I'm going to get a disease by watching that. What I find interesting about TikTok, because even though I don't have the app on my phone, it's not like I've evaded watching any of these videos. Mm. Like they're making my way onto my Instagram feed very, very quickly. They're everywhere. They don't make much sense to me outside the context of the app. Do you know what I mean? Like these stupid dances and stuff like that don't make any sense to me. But I do think in a social media field of filters, it stands alone. Like there's nothing else. And I think I wanted to touch on Vine for a second. I do wonder what the future of TikTok is when Vine couldn't work. Vine was obviously the platform owned by Twitter that closed in 2016 because it wasn't able to monetize. Yeah, they couldn't figure it out. And I would love to know if that's because Twitter was generally struggling at the time too and it was bad timing. I think in 2016 it was a much more saturated market if it's going up against Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and the resentment for social media wasn't as heightened as it is now if it would have survived, I think maybe TikTok is coming in at a good time, but I would love to see if it's able to find a way to monetize beyond what Vine was able to do. Agree. I do have one question for you that might launch you into an existential crisis, but does it strike you as peculiar that we are now the late adopters? The fact that totally. this app is as popular as Instagram, like the one of the most popular social media apps in the world, and you don't even have it on your phone yet. I only got it this week. Strikes me as just like, so concerning. It's like I'm a late adopter of things now. When Instagram came about, I swear I was early on it, like compared to the average person quite early. And this just didn't strike me as something I wanted to be on board with. And that's the fact, like I'm getting older. My knee clicks when I walk upstairs now and I'm a late adopter of the latest social media trends. Well, don't you think you now at this age, we need to make a concerted effort to be on top of trends? They don't come naturally anymore. Like you actually need to make an effort to be like, fuck, I think I'm behind on this. I'm going to download it on my phone, even though I don't want it. And see what it's about and force myself to enjoy it. I feel like a puzzle piece that doesn't fit. Like with Instagram, I'm like, yes, my place. I fit into that. Whereas with TikTok, I'm like, do I belong here? Everyone's 17. Gia Tolentino wrote about her use of TikTok in The New Yorker. Did you read this story? No. It's quite long, but it's quite interesting. She noted that TikTok is a social network that has nothing to do with one social network. And I kind of liked that line. I think so much about Instagram and Facebook is so much about who you know, the status you hold, and the amount of people following you based upon like the image that you put out. Whereas on TikTok, it's so much more about the following you cultivate based upon how stupid and silly you are. Like, do you think that's an oversimplistic capturing of the platform? Um, I do in one tiny element. I really largely agree. One thing I do think is it still relies very heavily on your appearance. A lot of the girls and women who do very well on this platform are very sexualized. And there is very clearly a niche that works very, very well for a certain woman on this platform. And power to you if that's the kind of 
following you want to create and the career you want to have power to you. But women who sexualize themselves on TikTok are definitely performing well. I mean, are we surprised as if it was going to function in any other way? No, but I definitely see a more silly, and I'm, I'm not denying it's there, but a lot of the men have very silly comedic elements to their TikTok profiles. And a lot of the women that I've come across have that Lauren Gray-esque air to them, which is I'm hot and I'm going to sing this R&B video and dance. Which just mirrors reality, I guess. I'm interested in whether it will always be able to stay silly, like whether this beautiful silliness of the platform now will be able to last Mm. the more people find themselves on it. One line from Tolentino that I wanted to finish on was really interesting. She said, I found it both freeing and disturbing to spend time on a platform that didn't ask me to pretend that I was on the internet for a good reason. (laughs) Like there's no purpose to this. There's very little meaning at the moment, but you just have a good time and waste hours scrolling. I really recommend it. If you haven't downloaded it, download it and come and tell us your thoughts in the Facebook group. Zara, I'm very, very curious to see what you'll think now that you have got it on your phone there because... I'm like I am conflicted I will spend hours on it but sometimes I will go through videos and be like none of this appeals to me at all and second to that I would like to know if there's a correlation between if you were a consistent YouTube watcher and if you like Mm. TikTok because you like YouTube more than I do I love YouTube so if you can spend hours scrolling YouTube I wonder if that is just similar to scrolling TikTok and I wonder if I will struggle with that I will let you know in the Facebook group shameless podcast community great plug there I love that a little (laughs) seamless self-promotion guys thank you so much for listening to this episode of shameless we are so so grateful for you all being here of course as we told everyone at our live show zara last week you guys give us a job and we are eternally grateful for that we are of course independent so the amount of support you shows us keeps us in work yes business keeps us in work in this little de facto (laughs) relationship we have because we are now bound to each other with a company contract it's very very true thank you as michelle said so much for listening we are on facebook at shameless podcast community as i said earlier we are on instagram at shameless podcast and we will be in your ears on thursday with a great in conversation episode if i do say so myself i would have to agree michelle bye oh my god Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.